It's Friday. It's fun. It's Locked On Buckeyes podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the show. I'm your host, Kyle Lamb. So Ryan Day said something this week regarding Cam Martinez that really picked my interest, okay? Makes me think he's an evil genius. And I'll tell you what he said that grabbed my attention and why it came across as a little cocky in a good way. I'll explain that coming up in just a minute. Also, Asher Lowe, the host of Locked On Badgers here on the Locked On Podcast Network, will be along as he and I discuss and preview the Ohio State-Wisconsin game this Sunday. They tip at 1 p.m. Eastern time. That is a CBS broadcast. We'll discuss that game and how the Big Ten is so, so difficult for <laughs> pretty much everybody in this league. It is, it is truly a roller coaster ride. It's a league of obstacles, but we'll preview that game and kind of the uh, detail the two seasons that we've seen from Wisconsin and Ohio State. That is coming up later. Asher Lowe of Locked On Badgers. The Locked On Buckeyes podcast, your almost daily, usually daily Ohio State football and basketball podcast. Find us on the platform of your choice or Tell others to find and follow us on the platform of their choices. We're on Apple iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and many other third-party p- platforms. Or simply say, play the Locked on Buckeyes on your smart speakers. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8 and find the show at Locked on Buckeye. In just a moment, we'll be back to talk about Ryan Day and seeing something that everybody else is missing. I'll explain. The other day, I was listening to Ryan Day discuss Cam Martinez, of course, uh, the wide receiver slash defensive back that has signed with Ohio State after being committed prior to the early signing period, but did not sign with Ohio State in December. He decided to prolong his recruitment, wait to see who Ohio State hired as the new defensive backs coach, and lo and behold, after Kerry uh, Coombs was named Ohio State's new defensive backs coach and co-defensive coordinator and got to talking to Martinez a little bit. Cam was settled. He was decided that Ohio State was the place for him to spend his collegiate career. Ryan Day was talking about Martinez, who is a high school quarterback. He has actually not played defensive back or wide receiver, and they are convinced that he is going to come in and have a chance to compete as a receiver, a special teams player, Um, a returner, and a defensive back. He's going to get kind of the the all-of-the-above label. Ultimately, it's believed he's going to wind up as a defensive back, a corner specifically, but we'll wait and see. Time will tell on that. But here's what caught my ear, because this is not the first time that this has happened, okay? Day was pointing out how surprised he was that Martinez was not more heavily recruited by some other big-name programs. And there was a hint of cockiness when he was saying this. And this is what I appreciate about it, Ryan Day, because it kind of made me think of another story that I'm about to relate to you. The thing that stands out for me about Day is I think this guy is a tremendous evaluator. Now, time is still, it's still a little too early to be making a proclamation that this guy is the the best uh, at finding diamond in the roughs or or gems or hidden gems or whatever you want to say, however you want to say it. But one thing is for sure, he is looking deeper, I think, than Urban Meyer ever was. And there's nothing against Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was really good at going out and getting four- and five-star recruits, and he landed a bunch of them, and they placed a lot of guys in the NFL because of it. So this is not a knock on Urban Meyer, but 
there was kind of one thing with Urban Meyer, and maybe a little bit this applies somewhat to Thad Mata in basketball as well. It's that when you're not landing four- and five-star recruits, how are you doing finding those diamonds in the rough, the guys that are a little bit under the recruiting radar, the guys that maybe not every top program was able to see or appreciate enough, and you bring them in when they're not a four- or five-star, and you turn them into a future NFL player. And sometimes it's not a matter of your development. It's just people didn't see the talent. Other times you did develop them. Maybe they already had the athletic ability, but people did not know about them because of lack of exposure or what have you. That model was not very good at finding the diamonds in the rough. That's one thing I appreciate. A, a guy like Bo Ryan at Wisconsin did very, very well. He identified players that fit his swing offense up there in basketball, okay, at Wisconsin. He identified those players that fit his system perfectly. He brought them in. He developed them and did a great job maximizing them and turning them into three- and four-year players. He did not have to live off of one-and-done guys. Now, you might say, well, you're not going to win a national championship without the four- and five-star recruits, and that's generally true. But after many, many years of him being really successful up there at Wisconsin with these types of players, everybody said, well, he couldn't win the big one. He didn't have enough talent. And then lo and behold, he finishes his career getting two back-to-back Final Fours. Now, football is a little bit different, but this is kind of the same way with Ohio State. If there was one little knock on Urban Meyer, and there, it, it, this is really reaching, okay? I realize I'm, I'm reaching with this, okay? But I would say he did not find some really good players in Ohio that could have fit the system and could have fit the mold and given them a little bit more depth at key positions. The offensive line was a little bit thin at times. These are, I mean, really, really small criticisms, I, I understand. But one thing that I'm seeing with Ryan Day, his comments about Cam Martinez tell me that he's got a little bit of cockiness to him. He can see things in players that not every coach is seeing. I give a lot of credit, and this is one reason why I say slow down on the Clemson hype, but I'm also going to give them credit at the same time. I say slow down on the Clemson hype because when you look at the four- and five-star players they're they're signing, they're actually slightly behind Georgia the last couple years, believe it or not. But where Clemson gets credit, in fact, like this past year, Clemson actually had 20 fewer four- and five-star players than Ohio State did on their entire roster. But where Clemson gets credit, though, is they're finding some of these three-star guys and turning them into five-star caliber players by the time they leave Clemson. So it, it's, it's, it's a two-way street. On one hand, maybe the recruiting is a little overrated at a place like Clemson, but they're also finding some diamonds in the rough, and they're churning out guys for the NFL because they're not just good at evaluations, but they're good at development. And that's where Ohio State can take its its program to even another level. And that's scary for the Big Ten. It should be scary for the Big Ten because Ohio is a talent-rich state. And if Ryan Day and his, his offensive and defensive staffs can identify diamonds in the rough within the state of Ohio, three- and four-star guys that maybe aren't getting a lot of publicity, but they're better than they're given credit for, and they can bring them to Ohio State and turn them into All-Americans and send them off to long NFL careers, well, that's not good. <laughs> not good for the rest of the Big Ten because Ohio State is already loaded with four- and five-star guys, but if they can take a couple of those three-star guys that are under the radar and turn them into productive two- and three-year starters at Ohio State, that takes the Buckeyes to another level. So Ryan Day talking about Cam Martinez, who mostly played quarterback at high school 
and talking about how he's surprised other programs didn't see it, there's a little bit of cockiness there because he sees that in Cam Martinez. And it reminded me of a story that Zach Smith told about Ryan Day, his first year at Ohio State, when Ryan Day saw something in Chris Olave that nobody else saw. He wanted to send Zach Smith out to watch Chris Olave play basketball before anybody had seen him play football. And Zach was saying how how odd it was that he was so sure about Chris Olave. He said he was sure that there's something there, and he wanted to just see him play basketball to make an evaluation. And as it turns out, people started catching on. Chris Olave wound up a four-star recruit. USC wanted him. Michigan wanted him. There were a lot of big programs that started catching on at the end of his recruitment, but Ohio State was already involved, and they had already sold themselves on Chris Olave, and he winds up being a Buckeye, and we're seeing the fruits of those labors right there. We're seeing Chris Olave as a, a tremendous talent, and he's turning into one of the best Ohio State receivers in recent years. He's got a chance to reach that plateau. He's still got a ways to go. We, we haven't seen it put all the way together yet, but this year he has a chance for a monstrous breakout season. And it's all because Ryan Day saw something in Chris Olave before everybody else did. And we don't know, the story is not written yet on Cam Martinez, okay? That book is still being written. There's a long way to go. We're not even in the first chapter yet with Cam Martinez. But that comment tells me there's a little bit of swagger there. And that's why I love this Ryan Day hire. I liked it when it was made, and I'm liking it even more a year later. Because I think Ryan Day is turning into a monstrous recruiter. But more than that, the evaluation is top tier, top notch. That's something that I think sometimes lacked from Thad Mata, sometimes maybe lacked at times with Urban Meyer. I don't know if the evaluation necessarily lacked, but he was very, very picky about those four and five star guys, the, 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 the athletic talents that just jump off the map. And sometimes you can sacrifice that for really, really good football players. But it kind of, kind of reminds me of a little bit what Bo Ryan was doing for Wisconsin basketball, because Ryan Day is finding the four- and five-star guys, and maybe he's not going to match Clemson pound-for-pound with four- and five-stars, but if you can find those diamonds in the rough to go with the four- and five-stars, maybe the ones that other coaches don't see, the recruiting evaluators don't see, then you've got a really loaded program. So all these weeks I've been saying, you know, slow down in the Clemson hype because they're not recruiting maybe as well historically as people are making it out to be. But I'm also going to backtrack on that and say, like Clemson, you know, Ohio State has a chance to maybe, it, it, it's a little bit more thorough and a little deeper than what the recruiting rankings are going to tell you. Because you can find guys, recruiting rankings do matter, by the way. Let me preface that. I don't want to make create any confusion. Recruiting rankings absolutely matter. They correlate, correlate very high to winning games, winning titles, sending guys to the NFL, Anybody that tries to tell you that recruiting stars don't matter, that's not true. But in the micro, you're not always better off with a four-star than a three-star. You might see a, a recruiting ranking at the, end of, at the end of the class, okay, when it's time for signing day, and you might look at this class compared to another and say, well, they have three more guys, four and five stars. And we all get caught up on that. And I do, I do it myself. It's, it's human nature for us to do that. But you might be the coach of the, one, of the team with – a couple fewer four and five stars, and you might like your class better than that other class because you might be saying, hey, I know the recruiting rankings don't necessarily agree, 
But these these couple guys we got at the end of the class that were three stars, man, we like them a lot. They're going to be really good. Better players than people realize. And that kind of thing happens. So Clemson has done it the last couple years. They have actually had a lot fewer four- and five-star players, but they've won two titles because they got some really, really good players, don't get me wrong, but they also developed some under-the-radar guys. By the same token, the last couple classes, people are freaking out about how well they're doing. They're not, they're actually not doing as well as Georgia and Alabama at the very, very top, or, or they're really close. But in terms of number and depth in the class, it's not as good as people are making it out to be. But again, like Ohio State, what they do with those three-star guys that they're getting, that's going to tell the story. That's where the, the, the championships are going to be won. And so you have to reserve judgment, too, with Ohio State. Yeah, maybe they're not picking up the one or two extra four- and five-star guys that Clemson is doing. But if my hunch is right about Ryan Day and this evaluation is turning out to be as, as good as I think it'll be, then there are some really, really good times ahead for Ohio State because they're going to land the four- and five-star guys. But Cam Martinez's those guys are where Ohio State's bread is buttered. That's going to take them to the next level. So I go back to the, the comments made on signing day. Ryan Day had a little bit of swagger to him, a little bit of co- quiet confidence or cockiness about signing Cam Martinez. And that book, as I said, it's not written yet. We're in the first chapter. So we don't know how Martinez is going to turn out. But I think the big picture, I think this guy gets it. I think he can see a football player. He knows what a good football player looks like. And if they can find those, those uh, hidden gems, those diamonds in the rough, that gives them an extra re- recruiting advantage. So keep an eye on that. Cam Martinez signs with Ohio State. We don't know what position he's going to play, but Ohio State is very, very high on him. And that's going to tell us a lot in the coming years. Coming up next, Asher Lowe of Locked On Badgers and I preview Ohio State, Wisconsin, and talk about these uh, tough times that we're living in in Big Ten basketball. Hey, everybody, welcome to this special crossover edition of Locked On Buckeyes and Locked On Badgers. I'm Kyle Lamb, along with Asher Lowe. Together, we're going to preview Ohio State, Wisconsin. And I think a a matchup of two fan bases, two teams and two fan bases that have had similar struggles, similar concerns. Actually, honestly, the the entire Big Ten has had similar struggles and similar concerns. But Asher, my man, this is um, a... we kind of have a, a, a kinship here, don't we? Because I, I've seen you on Twitter the last couple of days, and I know you're dealing with a fan base that is understandably a little frustrated with the ups and downs of the roller coasters, and Ohio State's been through it too. So this is kind of a fitting matchup. Yeah, it really is. And you said it best, I think, with just saying the whole Big Ten, when you look at top to bottom, pretty much the whole conference is in the same position of being uh, world beaters at home, and they can't win a game or make a shot on the road. So you have this, this strange week-to-week changing of, of fans' minds around whether a coach should be hired or fired, whether a coach should be extended, you know, whether a player is good or bad. Like, it literally, it just goes from night to night of saying, you know, for example, Greg Gard at, at Wisconsin, we've, we've seen on Twitter now, just back and forth, uh, guard, guard out, guard fired, guard fired after a bad loss. And then different people will come on Twitter after a big win, like the Michigan State win, and just say, you know, how fantastic of a coach Red Guard was and how he had this team ready for that game. And, and then you come out and you lose uh, at Minnesota, never even have a chance in that game, didn't lead all games. So, I mean, it's 
it's just a weird conference. It's a really good conference and it's a really fun conference, but it's a weird conference. Well, there's nobody in Buckeye Nation that I've seen realistically wanting Chris Holtman fired. Uh, you know, maybe that's not the case with, with that Badger fans. That is not fans. the case in Badger Nation, I can tell you right now. That is yeah, it, it's, not, it's not that bad uh, in Columbus, but I, but I, I feel like we owe uh, the two fan bases some positive podcasting today. So I want everybody to close their eyes and uh, imagine some ocean, sounds of the ocean, uh, maybe fire up some incense, uh, uh, fresh ocean breeze scent or something, and, and get yourself on the beach it can be in Miami or somewhere tropical. I don't care where, but just Madison, close your Wisconsin eyes. Around the lake. Yes, we're, we're gonna have we're gonna have a very positive uh, crossover segment here. We're gonna think good thoughts uh, or, or try to anyway. I'm not sure how long that'll last, but we're gonna try to bring out the best in, in both fan bases and both teams and programs. And I will start by this: it, you know, Wisconsin beat Ohio State the first time around in Columbus. I imagine this. I haven't obviously the spread has not come out just yet, but I imagine this could be a close game. Probably, you know, Wisconsin by the by the amount of home court advantage, probably by three points, they'll be favored, I'm guessing. Uh, but this is a really, really big game for Wisconsin. Obviously, Wisconsin, you know, Kobe King is gone. He's transferred. So now the Badgers are trying to figure out how to play without him. And it starts, I think, with the shooting, right? It, it, Wisconsin needs to have consistent shooting effort to be successful. Absolutely. It starts with shooting and it starts with perimeter shot making. And that's what most of the Big Ten can be separated by on a on a game to game basis, just because of how close the conference is in terms of talent, in terms of ability. And there are a couple teams in that high arc in that, in that higher uh, arc of big 10 teams, that higher level. Uh, there are two or three teams, I'd say Illinois, Michigan state and Maryland come to mind as the teams that are a little bit ahead of everyone else right now. But because the rest of the league is extremely, extremely even shot making, and it's, it's a simple thing really, but shot making can really decide a game. And boy, did Wisconsin miss shots, uh, against Minnesota it was ugly to watch and they allowed 45 in the first half as well so the defense wasn't good the offense wasn't good Minnesota made a bunch of tough contested threes some threes falling down uh, some some ridiculous made fadeaways so I mean that, that's what really decides games and I feel like shot making at home it's just easier well speaking of shot making at home this is a microcosm of the Big Ten I don't think anybody's made more shots at home than Purdue I don't get mm. that team at all. They they play like an NIT team away from home, but when they get at home, and I'm not even exaggerating when I say this, their net efficiency rating, which is offensive efficiency minus defensive efficiency, it's it would be number one in the country if you only include their home stats. I mean, they are they just beat Iowa by 36. I mean, yeah. it's like it's like fake stats when I look at their home their home halftime scores. I'm just like, what am I what am I looking at right now? Like, is this real? It's it's insane, and that's and that's the Big Ten in a nutshell. You you've got a lot of teams. There's only been I think 18 total wins away from home in the Big Ten this year. Uh, Big Ten home teams are winning 76 percent of the time. It's it's a really crazy league this year. You've got teams that are very good defensively. You've got good shooting teams, and I think most importantly in this league, uh, the post play. Like if you look at oh, every yeah. single team in the league, I have never seen a Big Ten with. Uh, this many good post players at once. I completely agree with Luca Garza, of course. He'll be Big Ten Player of the Year, and he should be uh, at Iowa. I don't think it's even close at this point, and it won't get close as the rest of the season goes on because he he has really expanded his game. And as has Daniel Oturu, by the way, who I watched yesterday yeah. from Minnesota, who has really expanded his game. And when I say expanded, I mean they can now step out, hit threes with more consistency, which opens everything up for them. Uh, Luca Garza is better now, I think, facing up 
than he used to be. So is Uturu in terms of the face-up game, in terms of that mid-range game. Both of those players have really improved in those aspects, and they're always going to be good back-to-the-basket players. Uh, they were coming in to Minnesota and Iowa, respectively. But the touch around the rim, the touch from the perimeter, these are things that have really improved over uh, the past season for those two guys specifically. Of course, Nate Reavers has taken the next step for Wisconsin because of really necessity with Ethan Happ leaving. You expected Nate Reavers to take on more of a role, and he's done that this year, and he's done a really good job of it. Last year, averaging 7.9 points a game. This year, nearly doubling that to 14, and the rebounding numbers up by an entire rebound. The minutes are up by six minutes, and a lot of that, like I said, is the departure of a an all-time great at Wisconsin, Ethan Happ, but a lot of that as well is the improvement of Nate and his ability uh, to not only hit the pick-and-pop three, but to also defend the rim, protect the rim, and get rebounds. And that's going to be a big key, I think, on Sunday, Asher, because Wisconsin is not a good offensive rebounding team. They're a decent uh, rebounding team on the other side of the ball, you know, as far as getting defensive rebounds. But Ohio State comes into this game, especially since Kyle Young has been back in the rotation for Ohio State. They're doing a really good job on the boards, especially offensive glass, but defensive glass, they've been pretty good too, with the exception of this past game against Michigan. They gave up a ton of offensive rebounds. But for the most part, this Ohio team, Ohio State team is really good rebounding. So I think that's a big key for Wisconsin on Sunday is to keep Ohio State off the glass. So a question about this Ohio State team, and I definitely agree with that. When you look up and down their schedule, it looks as inconsistent. Maybe, maybe the most inconsistent, I want to say, of any Big Ten team, and that's really saying something. Uh, because of what this league has been, when you lose, when your house State, you lose six of seven after being a win away from the number one overall ranking, uh, which doesn't mean anything this year, as we've come to find out, but still nonetheless being a win away from that, you know, what went wrong over that, that four game stretch when you started West Virginia and going to Indiana, that those lost, they lost four games in a row and Wisconsin's game uh, that Wisconsin lost for house State at home really kind of started that uh, trend after the West Virginia game. But what went wrong in those seven games? Yeah, I think this is a good lesson for Ohio State and Wisconsin fans simultaneously. I, I think it's uh, the old cliche that it's never as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems. I, I think both of those ring true. And I think with Ohio State, it's not with any one thing. I think it is a lot of things happening at once. Uh, they had injuries and suspensions all, all happen at the same time. They had a shooting slump that they were going through at that very same time. I think then you add in the combination of the schedule that you're playing in the Big Ten, you're, you're playing a brutal schedule. And Ohio State was coming off a pretty tough non-conference schedule as well, but it got even tougher, tougher when you get into the Big Ten. So you add in the competition, probably due for a couple of bad games, which happened right away there with that game at Minnesota the first time around and continued there at the end of the month. I think just every single little thing at once, the, the tough physical play, the injuries, the suspensions, the shooting slump, the competition – I think it all kind of went bad at once. And now when you're in the middle of a, usually in the non-conference schedule, you have off games against cupcakes where you can kind of get right and get back into the flow of things, right? And you can have uh, a, a better rhythm offensively and defensively. But Ohio State, unfortunately, it happened at a time where in this league, you have no off nights. And I think the result wound up that, that four-game losing streak and then six out of seven or whatever it was. And they're, they're getting things back together now, slowly but surely. The last three games against Northwestern, Indiana, and Michigan, they're showing signs of coming out of it. It's obviously not easy going on the road to Cole Center to try to continue your win streak, but I, I think that they're playing a little bit closer to the team that they were playing at the beginning of the year than the team that lost four games in a row. 
You know, and we've seen that inconsistency with so many teams in the Big Ten, Wisconsin included. But you mentioned the Kohl Center, a place where Wisconsin has been overall extremely solid because, you know, most Big Ten teams are solid at home. But this is something that's been going on for two decades now of dominance at the Kohl Center for this Wisconsin program. They've been a top 10 winning team at home over the last 20 years. And it's just a place where actually, in my opinion, the environment hasn't been at levels where it's been in the past. And maybe some of that is this team. Maybe some of that is the inconsistency. Maybe some of that is uh, the, the Greg Dard kind of dilemma that some fans are having. Uh, but the environment is still there, you know, on for, for a big, big 10 game. And I think that walking into the Cole center, still one of the toughest places to win in the entire country this year. I still firmly believe that what does Ohio state have to do this time around against Wisconsin, especially at the beginning of the game, because I really feel like that's where you can lose a game on the road in the big 10. And that's where Wisconsin just lost to Minnesota. That, that start really just killed them. Uh, same thing at Mackey arena against Purdue where starts have killed most teams against Purdue. They Purdue starts quick and the game's basically over within uh, eight minutes at that second media timeout. You're already looking up at a eight, 10 point deficit. What does Ohio State have to do against Wisconsin this time around? I think there are two keys. One is to continue eliminating turnovers and they did not do a very good job of that. The first time around, they turned it over too many times, especially in a slower paced game like Wisconsin and Ohio State both actually play. Uh, the turnovers have been a lot better for Ohio State these last two games, uh, 16% against Indiana and a season low 12.4% turnover rate against Michigan this this last game. So that is a step in the right direction, but Ohio State did not shoot very well the first time around against Wisconsin. That is also something that's coming back. You know, they're one of the highest shooting percentage teams in the country in terms of effective field goal percentage. So I think those two things, they just got to keep taking care of the ball and value possessions and then shoot like they have been for most of the season. And I think they got a better shot this time around than obviously the, you know, it didn't go well the first time they played a, a decent game where they're leading a lot of it. But then the last five, 10 minutes of the game, obviously Wisconsin took control and won the game. So I think they got to get back to shooting. Um, you know, what, what is Wisconsin doing differently now with King out and, and what do they have to do going forward? I, I saw you, you know, mentioned you've been in on this discussion is Wisconsin regressing, uh, you know, is, are they, is the program in decline or whatever, but they have six category one wins so far this year, as you've mentioned, yes and played a really tough schedule, it, it feels like their struggles are a lot more due to the strength of the league than it is to any program in decline, or at least the team being in decline. You can look at any team in the Big Ten Conference this year, I would say outside of Illinois and Rutgers, and say that program's in decline. I, I literally, I mean, you, you, can, you can say that about any team in the Big Ten because on a night-to-night basis, you don't know what you're getting. And that's just how this league works. You mentioned it that when you have a bad stretch in this league, it's going to look a lot worse than it would in the ACC this year, for example, uh, than it would. Uh, I'd say the Big East is probably the, the closest league right now, but in most other big leagues, even the Big 12, the bottom of the Big 12 isn't very good. Like, it's just no, nowhere near as deep as this league, the Big 10 is this year. And when you have these rough patches in this conference, you're going to lose three or four games in a row. It, it's just going to happen. And I think that for Wisconsin, the biggest thing is defense, right? It all starts at the defensive end of the floor. It always has uh, with Bo Ryan, and it always has with Greg Gard. And I think the Michigan State game is the perfect example of that because when shots aren't falling, when things started to dry up, and I don't want to, you know, take all the credit and just give it to Wisconsin because Michigan State missed a lot of opportunities, especially Xavier Tillman, who was 3-for-15 in that game. But this was a massive win. And I know the, the Minnesota loss, we can move on from that one. I think that's just kind of the – a burn the tape kind of throwaway game, in my opinion, at the barn, very tough place to win. 
But if Wisconsin loses this Michigan State game, they're all of a sudden walking into the Kohl Center as losers of four in a row and losers of the only two games they played without, or excuse me, actually three games without Kobe Kim because he did not play the Iowa game, even though at that time we didn't know he was leaving the program. But how did Wisconsin win that Michigan State game? You look at it, and the offense was about as ugly as you could possibly imagine in the second half. It was bad. Wisconsin scored 21 points in the second half, but it's even worse than that because the score with 435 left was 61-57 Michigan State. The score with 33 seconds left in the basketball game was 61-57 Michigan State. So Wisconsin locked down at the defensive end when they had to. They, they forced Cassius Winston into a lot, a lot of tough shots in that four-minute stretch, a lot of tough contested twos. We were talking about Andrew Wiggins before this show, uh, talking about the trade deadline a little bit, and they were very Andrew Wiggins-like tough contested twos that analytics guys would scratch their heads at. But Wisconsin wins the defensive end. When they're at their best, it's their defense, and losing Kobe King is massive, but this team can get over that with defense. Well, and this is a big game, right, Asher? Because – Wisconsin, we mentioned those six wins, uh, category one wins, which which really helps. It gives them a great buffer zone for the NCAA tournament. Three of those have come on the road at Penn State, at Ohio State, at Tennessee, which was a pretty good win. So Wisconsin has has done some stuff on the road, but you don't want to get yourself in a position where you have to win on the road and you can't afford, you've got to hold serve at home against teams like Ohio State, which are very, very similar. Um, you know, you could say Ohio State's better in a given game or Wisconsin's better in a given game, but they're very two, two similar teams, okay? So Wisconsin can't afford to lose this game at home because there's so many landmines on the road, and you can't assume you're going to pick off one of those. So Wisconsin's in good shape right now, but as we learned in this league, your fortunes can change in a hurry. So I think this is a really big game for the Badgers needing to win this one at home. And, you know, I think it almost mirrors Minnesota yesterday. I think it mirrors a lot of what I was saying going into this Minnesota game where, listen, Wisconsin doesn't need this game at the barn, talking about yesterday, but Minnesota needs it in the worst way. Like they, have to, they have to win this game to have any chance of continuing uh, their path towards the NCAA tournament. That was a game they had to have, and they had it. I don't think this Ohio State game is quite at that level just because of the schedule that Wisconsin has at the end of the year, which is extremely favorable. you got home games against Purdue, home games against Minnesota, home game against Northwestern, and, of course, Going on the road at Nebraska is a game they, they sh- still should win, even though Nebraska has picked off an, an Iowa uh, at home and a couple other solid teams at home. But this Ohio State game is massive for Wisconsin. I completely agree with that. Just to get back on the right track, but also, as you mentioned, to hold serve at home because, listen, I have no faith in Wisconsin going to either Michigan or Indiana and picking up a win. Absolutely none. No faith at all. So this game is big. I don't think it's something that decides postseason hopes or – postseason fate because I think Wisconsin is pretty much a lock right now given the rest of their schedule and I don't want to say that in this conference that's kind of a dangerous word to use because nothing's a lock in this conference as we've learned with Purdue beating Iowa by 36 yesterday but Wisconsin's schedule is extremely favorable I don't know if anybody has an easier schedule down the stretch in this conference than the Badgers do yeah it's kind of ironic you mentioned the games at Michigan and Indiana and those are two teams that are putting themselves in a position where they're going to be very desperate for wins at home because they've been in recent slides so both of those teams are going to be really hungry so that's exactly why Wisconsin's got to win games like this and if you're Ohio State you finally got momentum going you've built yourself up so much goodwill if you want to keep that going this is a great opportunity to get back in with a four straight win and then all of a sudden you're feeling really confident with games 
you know, coming up at Nebraska, Purdue at home, which hasn't been very good, away from Mackey Arena, uh, Maryland at home. There's very winnable games for Ohio State coming up. So I, I think this is really big for them to get back up into that top four, top feet, top five seed type of range where they were looking at a, a few weeks ago. Uh, so it's, it's big for both teams in different ways. I would agree with that for sure. And Ohio State continuing momentum is huge. I would say that, Kyle, for Ohio State fans to know any differences with Wisconsin, of course you mentioned the big one, Kobe King leaving uh, the program. And there's been a lot of stuff that has come out over the last few days to shed some light on this. And the most recent story is that uh, UW's strength and conditioning coach has been placed on administrative leave because Kobe King alleged uh, or has uh, put some allegations against him saying that he allegedly called him uh, racial slurs. So that, that is being looked into right now. And if you remember, Kyle, you've covered Justin Fields quite a bit. And if you remember Justin Fields' story from Georgia, this is all of a sudden getting a little similar, isn't it? Yeah, and which it's, you know, you say that magic buzzword and we can expect Kobe King to be declared instantly eligible wherever he transfers to, I'm, I'm guessing. So, right. uh, but that's that neither here nor the there. That has to be part of the situation. I mean, that has to be part of the discussion. I don't think that's fair to say yet because we just don't know enough. And this should be, I fully support UW, you know, putting uh, the strength and conditioning coach on leave to figure this situation out and to treat this as seriously as they possibly can. But we do have to look at the past precedent for something like this, uh, especially with high-profile athletes at Power 5 schools and transfer and transfers. And I think that uh, you actually – I saw you tweeting about this, but can we just let transfers play the next year uh, one time? Can we, can we just do that in basketball and football? I don't get why we haven't gone to that. Yeah, it's that's the thing. And and for those wondering, we're talking about the one-time transfer exception, which is apparently is being supported now by the Big Ten. It's already able, you're already able to transfer without sitting out in all but five division one sports. So basketball, uh, both men and women, football, baseball, and men's hockey are the only five sports where you don't have to sit out when you transfer the first time around anyway. And so the Big Ten supposedly is supporting this after the Micah Potter situation, after the waivers being uh, granted to some people, but not others, very judiciously. Uh, Justin Fields got his waiver to be instantly eligible, but many other players have not been so fortunate, like Micah Potter. Uh, it, it's it's a very weird situation we're in right now. And I say, if we're going to do the waivers, let's just get rid of the waivers and go to the one-time transfer exception, and they'll make this all easier on everybody. It really would. It really, there's no speculation, because I want to take this as seriously as possible. You know, an allegation like that, you shouldn't have that in the back of your mind. Like, well, is this something that someone could use to get ahead? This should be, you know, extremely serious. Uh, and it is. And sadly, you know, being stuck in my head is the thing of, well, maybe this is a, a thing to get a trend. And I don't want to be thinking about that. You know what I mean? Like, I just want to, I think these should be separate situations and they shouldn't be connected in any way, whether it be transferring versus, uh, you know, these allegations that are extremely serious. And unfortunately they are kind of tied right now and they, they shouldn't be. Well, it should be interesting to watch, uh, Ohio State, Wisconsin basketball, doing business over at the Kohl Center. That is a, I believe, a 1 p.m. start. Uh, I don't want to tell you. I don't 1 p.m. Eastern. Yep. Yeah. 12 okay. Central. Yeah. Uh, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central. Uh, kick Tip off over at the Kohl Center. That is a CBS nationally televised game. Should be a fun one over there in Madison. Uh, this has been a Locked on Buckeyes, Locked on Badgers joint crossover segment. Asher Lowe, myself, Kyle Lamb. Asher, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, and hopefully – this will be a good basketball game. As we've seen with the Big Ten, anything is possible. So it's unpredictable how this game will go, but it should be a good one either way. Completely unpredictable. And, of course, the middle of the Big Ten, when the two teams meet in the middle of the Big Ten, as these two 
programs are right now. You just never actually know. Nothing would surprise me on Sunday. Locked on Badgers, locked on Buckeyes. Find them both on your favorite podcasting platforms. Thanks for giving us a listen. We'll be back with more locked on Buckeyes and locked on Badgers, respectively. And that will wrap it up for Locked On Buckeyes. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back on Monday, Ohio State football, and, of course, recapping Ohio State, Wisconsin. On Sunday, we'll tell you what happened, why it happened, how it happened, and we'll look forward as to another big week in Buckeye basketball coming up next week. Find Locked On Buckeyes on your favorite podcasting platform. Find and follow. Spread the good word. Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, etc. Find me on Twitter at KYLAM8. Find the show at Locked On Buckeye. And don't forget, if you're a business owner, would like to advertise and grow your business with Locked On Buckeyes, be sure to text advertising to 33777 or visit LockedOnPodcast.com slash advertising to find out more and how you can grow your business with the Locked On Buckeyes podcast. Thanks for listening, everybody. Have a great weekend. We'll be back Monday.